broke out, and that was part of what they called the Jesus Movement. And for some of you, you could be looking, there's a movie coming out, supposed to be the 24th of this month, called The Jesus Revolution, which is based on that movement that uh, started in Southern California. But what I wanted to share with you is this past week on February 8th, revival broke out at Asbury again. And uh, they went to chapel as normal, but the Spirit of God started moving and the students found themselves at the altar confessing and repenting to the point to where it said the weightiness of the Lord fell in the room. Now, I experienced that twice. And if you ever experienced that, trust me, you can't stand. It's that powerful. But it's moving so powerful, they canceled classes the next day. And the, the kids are just flocking to stay in the presence of the Lord. Uh, I don't know how long it's been going now, but at that point it was 36 straight hours. And they weren't giving it up. And it was so much that it's now spread to Ohio Christian University. I share these things to encourage you because it's started and it's going to keep growing and it's going to get bigger and bigger. Don't be surprised if you see this church filled. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Praise God. So we just give it to him, but I do have another little story I'll share with you. A minister dies and he's waiting in line at the pearly gates. Ahead of him is a guy dressed with a leather jacket, sunglasses, a loud shirt, kind of sloppy looking. And so he's standing there and St. Peter looks at him and says, Who are you so I may know whether or not to admit you into the kingdom of heaven? The guy goes, Well, I'm Jack Thomas Jr. I'm a taxi driver from New York City. St. Peter looks at his list. He smiles and says to the tax driver, here, take this silken rope and this golden staff, enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now this minister that's behind him, he's excited now, wow. He looks up, he steps up bold and he says, I'm Robert Snow, pastor of Hope Old Baptist Church for the last 43 years. St. Peter looks at the list, he goes, oh, here, take this cotton rope and this wooden staff and enter to the kingdom of heaven. He goes, hey, wait, wait, something's wrong. Wait a minute. You just gave a taxi driver a silk robe and a golden staff. And I only get a cotton robe and wood staff. This can't be right. Peter looks at him and says, well, up here, it's based on results. When you preached, people slept. When Jack drove, people prayed. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll not put you to sleep today. But today's title is Walking in Victory with Authority. And I think all of us would want to walk in victory regardless of the circumstances we're going through, right? And to do that, you must be a born-again believer. Then you have authority that you can exercise that Christ has given us. And I want to share some things that hopefully will help you. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verses, For the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies, and he will give you the victory. Matthew 28, 18 said, Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you again. I lift up this body of believers here, this congregation, and those on the streaming as well. Lord, I pray your blessings upon them. I pray hearts and minds will be open to receive from the Holy Spirit the word you have. I pray, Lord, that you just fill this place with your Holy Spirit. Give me the words you'd have me to share, and we give you the glory and the praise. We ask in Christ's name, amen. 
1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, as we read those scriptures, God fights for you and I. Our victory comes from the Lord, Jesus Christ. God's desire is for followers of Jesus to have victory even in the midst of trials and tribulations of this life. He gives us victory when we follow him in obedience to his word and we step out in faith claiming his promises. Our victory is also dependent on having an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it's the Holy Spirit that intercedes for us, that helps us. And it even says Jesus, he intercedes with the Father on our behalf. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because with the Holy Spirit you receive power. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling the people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But we need more than just power. But that's something that we definitely need. Familiar scripture, I think, to quite a few is Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground, and if you, after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. See, the world we, world we live in has two realms. We have the natural realms. That's what we see, you and I. And then there's the spirit realm. But we need to know how to operate in the spiritual realm in a way that will help us in the natural realm. Because we just read the battle is not with people, but our battle is against evil in that spirit realm. And God uses believers to do his work. And Satan uses people to do his, the non-believers. Fact is, sometimes he'll even use believers when they don't realize it. So we need to put on the whole armor of God. Right? That's a protection. I sometimes think, now this is just me, this is not Bible, but when you think about in the Middle Ages, the knights, they would put on their armor, right? Going out for the king. You couldn't see who it was. You just knew they represented the king. When we put on the full armor of God, maybe the devil and his group, they don't see us. They see we're coming in the authority of God. Just something to think about. But again, I have a lot of scripture today. That's what's important. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 17. says, Now the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I watch Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. 
Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So the devil and the demons are subject to the authority we have that's given to us through Christ. The only authority they have is what you give them. So don't give them any authority. To have victory manifest in the natural realm, you have to exercise your authority in the spirit realm. Christ gave us authority over all, not just some, but all power of the enemy. And when you walk with that authority, the devil's got marshmallow teeth. Prayer is one of the keys to victory. You have to have a strong prayer life with thankful hearts. Worship and praise is another key to victory. Um, you know, if you're feeling attacks in your home, I suggest you put on some Christian music. The demons, they don't like to hear that stuff. They don't want you praising God. When you start praising and worshiping the Lord, they flee. Of course, to walk in victory, you must turn from sin. The Bible tells us we're to be dead to sin, but alive in Christ. You can't go to places or hang out with people that look and talk about sinful passions and expect to have victory. Be careful what you watch, what you listen to, and what you do. You'll never have victory while trying to walk in the way of the world. We have to press into our spirit person and take control instead of our flesh person. We resist sin by not putting ourselves in a place of temptation. We must trust God. John 14, once Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. See, fear and worrying will keep you from victory. The devil is a liar. Fear is a liar. Trust God and give him your fears and worries. I want to share Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 14. This is called the Passion Translation. Uh, the Passion Translation was written by a gentleman, Pastor Brian Simmons. He was actually called and became a missionary, him and his family, to establishing churches in South America. And then he came to Connecticut, and he actually had a church in West Haven called Gateway Christian Fellowship for about 18 or 19 years. I've met the man, but uh, he said he used to get criticism for writing this translation. What do you mean, you know? But he said, I had to be obedient. The Lord said, write this translation because the Passion Translation is like a heart-level translation, and it, he, he used the Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic transcripts. fact is, in your own Bible studies, I recommend a parallel Bible. In the parallel Bible, you can get four translations right next to each other because you really want to get the true essence of what's being taught there, unless you're going to be a Greek and Hebrew scholar, right? But anyway, this is the Passion Train. I hope you resonate with this. I thought it was really good. Jesus canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed unto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of consolation. Then Jesus made a public public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, 
Jesus led them around as prisoners in his possession of triumph. He was not their prisoners, they were his. Again, you need to know that you're alive in Christ and that these spiritual rulers, the devil and his bunch, they have no real power over you that are in Christ because Jesus took it away. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Again, with Christ, all things are possible. I have a book I read, a book I'm going to recommend to you. It's called Believer's Authority. It was written by uh, Pastor uh, Kenneth E. Hagan, uh, who's gone on to be with the Lord. And he started uh, Rhema Bible College in Oklahoma. But he tells the story in his book. In 1952, he said the Lord Jesus appeared to him. And he talked to him for about an hour and a half. And he talked about the devil, demons, and demon possession. But he said near the end of the discussion, a small evil spirit appeared and ran between Jesus and Pastor Hagen. And the demon was spreading something like a dark smoke screen. And he said the demon began jumping up and down and crying in a shrill voice, making all kinds of racket to the point that Pastor Hagen could no longer see or hear what Jesus was saying. Pastor Hagen couldn't understand why Jesus was allowing this demon to be so disruptive. He was wondering why didn't Jesus just rebuke this demon so he could hear what Jesus had to say because he really wanted to know and he needed to know because he said Jesus was teaching him about how to exercise authority again over the de devil and the demonic. The pastor thought to himself, doesn't the Lord know I'm not hearing what he wanted me to, to hear? I need to hear it and I'm missing it. He said he almost panicked. He became so desperate that he cried out, in the name of Jesus, you foul spirit, I command you to stop. Amen. He said then immediately the little demon hit the floor. The smoke cloud disappeared. And he said the demon lay there trembling and whimpering and whining and wouldn't even look at him. He said the pastor then commanded to the demon, not only shut up, but get out of here in Jesus' name. He said the demon then ran off. The pastor began thinking, why didn't Jesus do something about this? Why did he permit it? He said, Jesus looked at him and he said, if you hadn't have done something about that, I couldn't have. Now that came as a real shock to the pastor. It was astounding. The pastor replied, I know I didn't hear you right. You meant you wouldn't have, didn't you? And Jesus' replied to him was, no, if you hadn't have done something about that, I couldn't have. The pastor repeated himself four more times to Jesus until Jesus became emphatic with him and said, no, I didn't say I would not. I said I could not. Pastor Hagen still could not accept this. He says, I've read the New Testament over 150 times. Lord, I need you to prove it to me from the New Testament because if that is in there, I don't know it. Jesus replied, son, there's a lot in there you don't know. I think, I think that's true with all of us. Jesus continued, though, he said, not a single time in the New Testament is the church ever told to pray that God the Father or Jesus would do anything against the devil. In fact, to do so is a waste of your time. 
Jesus continued, the believer is told to do something about the devil. The reason is because you have the authority to do it. The church is not to pray to God the Father about the devil. The church is to exercise the authority that belongs to it. The New Testament tells believers themselves to do something about the devil. And the least member of the body of Christ has just as much power over the devil as anyone else. And unless believers do something about the devil, nothing will be done in a lot of areas. I think we see that today. Jesus then said, I've done all I'm going to do about the devil until the angel comes from heaven, takes the chain and binds him and puts him into the bottomless pit. And that's in Revelation 20. Now, Jesus said, I'm going to give you four references that prove that. First of all, when I arose from the dead, I said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. But I immediately delegated my authority on earth to the church. And I can work only through the church, for I am the head of the church. We, we read here a few weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 12. I didn't give it to John, but in 1 Corinthians 12, if you recall, it tells us that the body is one with many members. Christ is the head of the body. The church is the body and Christ is the head. The body cannot do anything without the head and the head can't do anything without the body. Jesus' next reference is Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 20. It said, When God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things and under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. Then Jesus shared in Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The one who has believed and has been baptized will be saved, but the one who has not believed will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And then James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, the devil and the demons, they're afraid of the name of Jesus. We see over and over our authority is with the power of the name of Jesus. And we need to use that name. You know, fact is, I didn't give this to John. Uh, but I thought about it this morning, and so uh, I just thought I'd bring it up. In Luke chapter 9, starting in uh, verse 49, it talks about where the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, listen, there's a group that's not part of us. They're casting out demons using your name. Should, should we tell them, we told them to stop. And Jesus said, don't, don't, don't stop them. If they're for us, then they're not against us but they were using the name of Jesus. We need to realize the power of that name. It's not even just the power of that name and the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority we're given, but our words. Our words have power. I think 
Most of you can recall, maybe I'll show my age, when I was a kid, you know, we'd say to each other, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. That actually is far from the truth, right? We see bullying today, words do matter. Words have real power. Think about it. God spoke the world into being by the power of his word. Words do, do more than just convey information. And of all creatures on this planet, only humans have the ability to communicate through the spoken word. The power to, to use words is a unique and powerful gift from God. Words have the power of life and death. Proverbs 18.21. This is the message translation. Words kill, words kill life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Proverbs 12.18 said, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Proverbs 15.28 says, the heart of the godly think carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. And in Matthew 12, 36, it says we have to give an account on Judgment Day for every idle word we speak. Our words, the words we say, will either acquit us or condemn us. That's very serious. Our words matter. You know, we need to think about our words because once you say something, you can't take it back. You know, an acrostic to the word think is, with the letter T, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Maybe if it's not, doesn't fit in those categories, maybe we shouldn't say it. Matthew 18, starting in verse 18, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. See, we have authority to bind and loose. That's the power of our words. That's a serious responsibility that we don't take lightly. Let me ask you something. Have you ever made words like, oh, I'm not, I'm not beautiful, I'm not good looking, or handsome, I don't think I'll ever feel good again, nobody cares about me, I'll never be happy again. I'm sure we've all said something along those lines. But when we do that, you realize those negative words we're speaking, we're making an agreement with the enemy because he uses those things. You see, it, when you start saying that, you're making an agreement and that's letting him win the battle. We read earlier Proverbs 18, 21, again, that death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. The scripture says we'll eat the fruit of our words. You cannot talk defeat. You cannot make agreements with Satan and expect a blessing or a blessed future. Every time we speak defeat, it's almost like you're shaking hands with the devil saying, I agree. Or what agreements are you making about your future, your family, your health, your work, your finances? Because keep in mind, the opposite of faith is fear, and both have power. 
Faith activates God's power in our life. Fear activates Satan's power in our life. Often we talk defeat because of fear. We no longer believe that God will come through for us, thus we're making an agreement with the enemy. 2 Timothy 1.7 said, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You may be in a difficult time in your life right now. Let me challenge you not to use your words to describe your situation, but to use your words to change the situation. I'll say that one more time. If you're going through something difficult, don't use your words to describe your situation, but use your words to change the situation. Declare victory. Declare God's favor. Speak God's blessings over your life. Again, don't make any agreements with the enemy. Don't forget about Job. I mean, Job saw Satan was what? The accuser. He comes accusing. He's always going to be trying to kill, steal, and joy. That's his job. But we have the authority over it. We just can't let him do his job with us. There's a lady named Holly Gerth who I want to just share a little quote. She said, Our words are not dull butter knives nor plastic lightsabers swung in the backyard. They are real weapons. We can use them to wound or we can fight the darkness together. I choose the latter. Now, the Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. So what does that mean? We're representative, right? So we're speaking and acting in his name with power and authority. That's why we have it as an ambassador. But there's a difference between power and authority. For instance, if you had a big truck going down the road, that truck's got a lot of power. But if a policeman stands out, out there at the intersection and tells that truck to stop, the truck stops. Not because the, the police officer has more power, he has more authority. Because the, he's backed by the city government or the state government. Therefore, the truck driver recognizes this and obeys it. Well, Satan and his evil spirits, they have power, but Christ has given us authority. And if we're abiding in Christ, we can speak in his name, and the powers of darkness must obey us. They obey us because they recognize that the back of us is the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Isn't that great? Knowing your authority in Christ allows you to stand firm against the enemy and will also radically change the way you pray. When you understand your authority, you begin to understand that through prayer you can make a declaration that whatever the Lord has promised to you in his word is yours. You know, it's kind of like if you have a winning ticket, whatever it is, raffle, lottery, I don't play that, but, but I'm just saying if you had the winning ticket, but you never go and claim it, the prize, what good is that ticket? What good is our authority if we never go and claim it? You see what I'm saying? So here's what happens when we understand our authority. Instead of praying for something that God has already promised uh, is ours in his word, we actually pray a declaration that whatever we need is already ours. We don't pray for victory. We pray from a place of victory. Again, when you know you have the right to something, you claim it. If you desire peace, are you just going to say, Oh, Lord, life is hard. I just wish you'd give me peace. 
Does that sound like you're really claiming peace? No, you're going you're gonna to claim something that, that say something that the Lord has promised you. You're going to pray from a, a declaration that the peace is yours and you're claiming it. You demand fear and anxiety to leave you. You get after the enemy. When you make a decree over your life, you demand your rights as a son or daughter of God. And to be clear, we're not demanding God when we demand our rights. We're demanding of the devil what, I, what is ours because God has promised it to us. And we have the authority to claim it and to take it because the devil is always going to want to take it. John 14, starting in verse 12, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Think about it. The wind obeyed Jesus. Jesus walked on water. He fed 5,000 with five loaves. And according to what he's telling us there, we could do these things. Do you guys, do you all believe it? Do you believe that you could do that? How about walking on some water? That'd be pretty neat, wouldn't it? But this is where faith is so important. I want to share another verse. Matthew 26, 53, Jesus said, Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? That's around sixty to 70,000 angels. Now, I bring that up for you because the Scriptures does not state anywhere that we have authority over the angelic force. But we do talk about the spirit realm, which has angels and demons. And I'd heard a teaching about that the angelic force, the heavenly host, are just chomping at the bit for us to use them for the kingdom work. And it was a very interesting teaching. And the teaching said, first of all, uh, you have to be uh, trying to be a clean vessel, living a a holy, righteous life. If you willfully sinning, the angelic force is not going to pay you any attention. That was the first thing. The second thing was that you had to declare your authority over the demonic. Then you had to be specific in the number of angels you need and a specific task on what they want to do. And of course you have to believe and have faith. And most important of all, it has to be done in the name of Jesus. We've seen this all throughout today, the name of Jesus. Well, I, uh, I shared with you, I went to Haiti in 2021, and uh, that was where, again, I met a couple of friends that was down in Georgia that had gifts of words of knowledge and prophetic words, and they'd shared about the people crying out for Jesus, which happened when 300 prisoners came to Christ. Well, this teaching I'm just sharing you about, I decided I would try this, right? I got bold, I will tell you. My prayer was something like, along the lines like this. It was like, uh, I take authority over the demonic realm. I pull down their strongholds. I command forth one million of the heavenly hosts to go forth to Haiti to surround our team with protection, to open, pull down everything demonic that we would be able to give the gospel and uh, that people would receive. I prayed that prayer believing. No one knew I prayed that prayer but my wife. The night before I got ready to leave for Haiti, 
Her friend from Georgia calls, and she goes, the Lord just showed me something that he wanted me to share with you. I said, okay. He just showed me Michael the archangel with the sword drawn, and I couldn't count all the angels that were going with him that was going to Haiti with your team. Now, that was a confirmation of my prayer. I stepped out in faith. So here's the thing. What I pray, every one of you can pray too. You know, again, remember, the least has just as much as anyone else. So I wanted to share that with you because it's real, the power and the authority. We know the demons are real. We know God is real. So anyway, I hope that's a blessing. The last scripture I have for you is 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. See, faith is key to our victory and our authority. I don't know if any of you ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth. He was a great man of God from England. He lived from 1859 to 1947. And he, he just, miracles followed him everywhere. He actually took communion every day. But I wanted to share a quote that he had. Don't come up. He said, I am not moved by what I see. I am not moved by what I feel. I'm moved only by what I believe. So stand your ground. See, our victory again comes by prayer. It comes by the words that we speak. It comes by walking in faith with the power of the Holy Spirit and by exercising our authority over evil in the name of Jesus, which is all given to us through our Lord Jesus. You know, we need to be bold as lions but gentle as doves. We have to walk in love and be wise. And it's important to remember that our power and authority in Christ is used to help fulfill his kingdom purposes. It's always about his kingdom and his glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, again for this time to share these words. I pray, Lord, that they would help equip this body, that they would walk in the authority that you've given us, that the enemy will be on the run, that their lives will be victorious, Lord. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. And we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
life, the ups and downs. Joy comes from a consistent and focused relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. I'm about to close out here. I'm going to turn it back over to Kathy, and she's going to... I don't know what she's going to do. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Aren't you? Do you know anyone who's living this level of life? Joy unspeakable. Full of joy. Do you know anyone? How do we live a focused life in Christ? Verse 14, and then I'm, I think I'm done. Kathy, is that okay? <laughs> John 15, verse 14. Watch this. You are my friends if you do what I command. God expects our obedience. He expects it. He doesn't just want us to obey. He demands that we obey. Wow. What kind of life are you living? It is a, is a life that counts. Is Jesus Christ the focus of your life? That means that everything you do centers around him. Everything. I'll close with this one sentence. Christianity, a Christian, disciple, follower of Jesus, is not a part-time life, a sometime life. It is not. It's an all-time life. It's a surrendered life. Giving up of self. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, that is the cry of our hearts this morning. Your people calling. In repentance, forgive us of our self-righteousness, of our pride, of our disobedience, a selfish life that, Lord, we come before you this morning with one desire upon our hearts, and that's living a focused life in you and through you. Lord, I pray, and this is a bold prayer, whatever it takes, Lord, in the life of your people, professing Christians, your church, whatever it takes to bring us to our knees. and live 
a life centered on you. Put it before us, Lord. Put it before us. And in making that statement, I see one person. I see Jesus Christ. And then I see the power of the Holy Spirit working upon those that are within the sound of these words, this prayer, whether it be in this building or online. Specifically, people online. You're welcome in the house of the Lord. Don't make him a life of convenience. God is calling us to be one in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves within those that have been listening, those that have ears to hear. And the Holy Spirit moves them before your throne, on their knees, in repentance. and a desire to abide, to remain in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please stand, respond to how God has spoken to you this morning, whether you be here physically or you're visiting us online. There are people online that will respond to you in prayer, information giving. Whatever it may, you may need in your life this morning, you can find it in Christ Jesus. Kathy?